0: The Burning Cypress As with the Quercus mulier, which you have already seen on your tour, this individual cypress predates the creation of the Godfrey estate, and at approximately 1300 years old, it is the oldest currently living tree in the vicinity. It is also the tallest resident of the gardens, and often serves as a guidepost of sorts for patrons who dare to venture off from the designated trails. Let it be known that the Godfrey Estate does not recommend that you do this. It's so tall, in fact, that the uppermost branches can even be glimpsed from certain sections within the labyrinth. It is a wonder, isn't it? Such awe you must feel in its presence. Though, you're standing awfully close to the trunk. Are you sure that the heat isn't too much for you? Please be careful you wouldn't be the first patron to linger too long in front of the cypress's eternally slow-burning trunk and accidentally suffer heat exhaustion as a result. If you start to feel woozy or lightheaded, is recommended that you back away from the tree, sit down, and drink some water. There is a refrigerated drinking fountain a little way down the path, should you need it. But to address your burning question, please forgive the pun, Why is this ancient tree in a constant state of immolation? Despite the best efforts of experts across generations, it remains unknown how this tree's current state came about. Early theories suggested that lightning struck the tree and ignited the smoldering embers that are still slowly eating away at the tree's core. Yet, of those who first noticed the phenomenon in the early 1800s, initially just a faint stream of smoke rising out of one of the knots on the trunk, they did not find the other kind of physical damage common to lightning strikes. The trunk and all the branches were whole rather than cloven in two, no burn marks on the outside of the tree, just the smoke escaping from within it. By all accounts, it simply spontaneously combusted one day, and has burned low, hot, and persistent ever since. The intervening time has taken its toll, where once the fire within was only suspected, thanks to the smoke and the heat emanating from the trunk, it has long since burned through to the open air, the long years of the fire's life eating away at more and more of the tree. Most of the outside now looks more like drying lava, with rivulets of red-orange fire crackling within the charred husk, rather than the healthy, hale bark of a cypress tree. One day, perhaps one day soon, it will only be a blackened, burning scar where once stood an ancient being of the natural world. The escalation has not been gradual either. The most extreme spread of the damage has only occurred in the last 50 to 60 years. In that time, the fire has spread further around, further up the tree. Higher and higher branches have begun to catch, to wither and crumble with the heat and flame. And it is only spreading faster and faster. It is perhaps an odd coincidence, but the worst flare-ups in the fire's growth have happened to align with major environmental disasters around the world. Oil spills across continents, Arctic drilling, nuclear meltdowns, deforestation, species extinction, As if this ancient tree's roots, deep as they are, can sense far beyond the patch of earth in which they first burrowed and found life, beyond to other lands, other deep places, and felt the pain there, felt the pain, and manifested it within itself, even to the point of its own destruction. So far, the fire remains contained to this one singular cypress tree, but there are so many other trees nearby. How long until it catches them? What will be left standing if we do nothing to prevent it? Attention, Godfrey guess. Attention! We're receiving reports that the unauthorized band of performance artists, who are still holding patrons hostage on the third floor of the East Gallery, have placed a sign in one of the windows facing the gardens. Intrepid patron, you are within view of this window according to the GPS tracker on your audio device. Please point the backup camera in your device towards the window in question. We've been told that the message is written on a bright green material in black ink. Thank you. Visual identification protocol activated. Camera zooming in. Focusing. For the Godfrey records. The performance artist sign reads. It reads. It is written in very elaborate floral calligraphy and the camera is experiencing difficulty in recognizing the text. Intrepid patron. Please turn on the calligraphy setting on your device. This may help the camera to focus. Thank you. The sign reads, Vending machine broken. Performance art is hungry work. We did not bring enough snacks for ourselves and the others. The captives, I mean, audience, complaining of low blood sugar. Send food or vending machine repair person for our weak and hungry captives, um, audience. We require their complete focus and energy to complete the project. Do this, and no one else will get hurt. End of sign. Visual identification protocol deactivated. Oh dear. Those poor people. Anyway, stay tuned for further updates on the situation. Flora. This name may be somewhat, well, lacking in your eyes, nondescript, and you would be correct. The term flora, after all, refers to any variation of plant or fungal life. It is a catch-all term, used for the broadest possible characterizations and categorizing. Any specificity beyond that is not its purpose but that word is all that those who've studied this curious addition to the grounds have to describe it. Describe, but not define, this growing being that appeared on the grounds of the Godfrey estate apropos of nothing. Its colors are sometimes vivid and bright, sometimes muted and dulled. It is sometimes towering and expansive with deep, twisting roots Sometimes small and delicate as new grass just sprouting from the soil. It sometimes smells of a floral, perfumed scent. Sometimes it smells crisp and clear like fresh pine, or sharp yet soothing like eucalyptus. It is sometimes soft, sometimes rough to the touch. It sprouts and flowers and wilts and grows spines and sheds leaves and changes form to its own unknowable, internal rhythm. Changeable is truly the only word that describes this living, growing thing with any regularity or consistency. These words, this naming of sensation and appearance, describe what the estate has dubbed flora, but they do not define it. What is it to define a thing that contains such multitudes? To understand? But in trying to understand, does the act of definition diminish it? Does a definition, a category, a name, reduce it to something less than all that it is? Yes. What would you call it? Do you have words deep or nuanced or complex enough to capture all that it is and all that it can be? And does a lack of a name, a lack of your full understanding of it, make it any less wondrous? Any less beautiful? Of course not. It is beautiful because it exists as whatever it chooses to be. As whatever, in the moment, it is meant to be. No matter the form it takes, no matter the differences from day to day, it cannot be anything other than itself. It cannot and makes no attempts to hide it. And it is beautiful. Is that the secret, then? That beauty, as demonstrated by this living thing before you, is to be as you are. To allow every version of yourself the chance to be seen, the chance to grow, the freedom to change. Thank you for listening to The Godfrey Audio Guide. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Nicole Knudsen, with sound design and editing by James Ferrero. Enjoying your trip to the estate? To keep up with The Godfrey, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Godfrey Guide, or visit our website posted in the show notes below. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. If you're interested in becoming a sustaining member of the show, make sure to visit our Patreon page patreon.com slash the godfrey audio guide in addition to our various membership tiers you'll also find full episode transcripts for any who wish to read them until next time friends see you back at the museum